If you haven't turned there, turn to the passage that we'll just read, John chapter 1. Uh, also, I, uh, the ushers right now, I have, uh, they're going to hand you something. So ushers, you should have those. Uh, I don't know if any got to the balcony, so we might want to get some up there. Uh, you're going to be getting a piece of paper. I'll explain this as we go through the uh, message this morning. Uh, so just take that. And uh, while, while they're passing that out, I want to uh, just, uh, I want to be a little transparent with you today, tell you a little bit about um, how my week normally works. Um, some of you, uh, I've had people ask in the past, you know, what do you do all week? I mean, you, you just, you preach on Sunday and then you, what do you do the rest of the week? Uh, well, there's a number of things I do and I'm not going to go into that now. But I want you to understand that I, I put a lot of time and take it very seriously when I get up here and speak. Um, I am not a natural, gifted speaker. Okay, I've said this many times. I, uh, I get terrified to speak in front of people. And so for me, it takes uh, a lot of prep work to get up here and speak. I will spend anywhere from 20 to 25 hours a week working on a sermon. Uh, so my normal sermons that I preach on Sunday, it'll be... Uh, about 25 hours I will put into it, plus my other responsibilities. So I'm telling you this for a reason. Um, my normal best study time is late at night. I'm a late night person, and so my family goes to bed, and I stay up and I'll study. And uh, so this week I had been studying um, and studying, and I had my message basically done on Friday night, but something just didn't feel right. Um, God kept working on me, and I just did not feel right about my message. I know that sounds bad. But Friday night, I was up late. It was probably about midnight. And I'm down in my basement where I study, and I'm sitting here, and I'm looking over my message, which was almost completely done. And I, I, all of a sudden, I just went, I'm not doing this message. And I put it to the side, and I, I got on my knees, and I said, God, obviously you don't want me to do this message. What am I supposed to preach on Sunday? I don't have 25 hours to prepare before Sunday morning. Um, I began to begin working on what God was laying on my heart, which is what I'm going to share with you this morning. I tell you that because um, two reasons. Number one, if you have notes that you're taking in, your, in the bulletin, <laughs> they're going to do you no good. So um, you can turn it over on the back side and, and do the notes on the back, but those aren't going to help you at all. Um, secondly, I tell you that because I want you to know, uh, and I'm not making excuses when I say this, I'm just being transparent with you, this message may be a little bit more rough around the edges than some that I do, okay? But I, I'm going to share with you from my heart, so I hope that you will um, understand that as we go through this. Uh, John chapter 1, I handed you, by now you should have this sheet. Um, in a few weeks, we are having our service invite year one. Um, this message this morning is, is geared towards encouraging you to, to begin the process of thinking who you are going to invite. So here's what I'm doing with this sheet. I want you to be thinking as we're going through this service of who you are going to invite to uh, our Invite Your One Sunday. Okay? And so I want you through the service, you can be listening to me and thinking about that and doing that. And at the end of the service, what I'm going to ask you to do is to write the name of the person you're going to be inviting and sign your name at the bottom. Two reasons for that. Number one, because it's going to um, cause you to commit. 
Okay, oftentimes we hear messages or we hear uh, a plea, you know, to do something. We go, ah, that, that's great. And we put it to the back of our mind and we go throughout our week and we kind of forget about it. Maybe we remember, but we kind of don't really pay a lot of attention to it. And so by doing this, what I'm asking you to do is actually write the name of the person you're going to invite. Now, maybe it's two or three and you want to write all their names. I'm okay with that. Um, if maybe you have a typed list at home, you want to email me. That's fine, too. But you're going to write down their name and then you're going to sign at the bottom. The second reason why I want you to do this is because I want you to give me these sheets. Uh, Afterwards, you can hand it to me, you can put it in my office, you can put it in my box, you can give it to my family, you can give it to my staff, however you want to get it to me, get it to me. And what I'm going to do is, for the next uh, three, four weeks until our Invite Your One Sunday, I'm going to pray for those names. Um, Because I think it's very important that we are serious about inviting these people. So that's for that. I will mention again towards the end. Uh, but take that and be thinking about it as we go through this. So let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful that we can be here. We're thankful that we can study your word. And I pray you'll help us to understand this passage, but specifically as we look at the example of this man, Andrew, that we'll understand the task that you have for each of us to do. And I thank you again for this opportunity to share your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. There was a man by the name of Lyman Beecher. Probably most of you have not heard. There's a couple of you that maybe know who Lyman Beecher is. Lyman Beecher uh, lived uh, over 100 years ago. He was a great theologian. He was a scholar. Uh, He was a brilliant man. Now, Lyman Beecher would probably be best known to most of you as the father of Harriet Beecher Stowe, who was an author. Lyman Beecher, though, was the father of, I think he had 12 kids. Um, he, was, he was a preacher. In his day, he was considered to be the greatest thinker and the greatest mind in the world. He was a brilliant man. Uh, one day, someone came to him, and all of the brilliance that he had, people would come and ask him all sorts of deep and, and hard questions, and someone came to him one day and said, Mr. Beecher, what is the greatest thing anyone could do on earth? He pondered for a moment and thought about it. And he said this, Friend, the greatest thing anyone could ever do is not to be a scientist or a doctor or a worldwide leader such as a president. The greatest thing anyone could ever do is to bring another human being to Jesus Christ. This morning I want to talk to you about a man by the name of Andrew. If that statement I just said is true, then Andrew would be the greatest of all men. Because every time we see in the Bible Andrew's name mentioned, he was bringing people to Jesus. He had this this habit of introducing himself to people and then taking those people and walking them to Jesus and introducing them to his Lord. Andrew was not well known. Andrew was not popular. Uh, Andrew was... For, for all practical purposes, a common, everyday man who, who's something different about him, though. He fell in love with Jesus. Jesus was not just another leader. Jesus was not just another uh, person. Jesus was something greater than that. Jesus was his Lord. Andrew, I think, dispels the myth that oftentimes we have as believers that you cannot serve God unless you are multi-talented or popular. 
Andrew puts that myth aside that somehow we think that the only people that can, can really serve the Lord are the people who are doing incredible things for God. And Andrew is telling us that's not the case. In fact, Jesus spent time with ordinary people. Andrew was one of them. Someone once said, God must love ordinary people because he made so many of them. So you may not be a King David who wrote beautiful psalms and and was the greatest king that Israel ever had. Or you may not be Simon Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and from one message, 3,000 people came to Christ and changed their life. You may not be Moses who, who led 2 million people out of Egypt into the Promised Land. You may not be even like people in our world today, like a missionary like Tim Fink, who, who God used to start three churches in Romania. Or, or even a pastor like, like David Miller, who pastored this church for 35 years. You may not be any of those people, but you know what? You can be an Andrew. And Andrew's trademark was he was always bringing people to Jesus. He was seeing people who had a need, and he knew their only answer was Jesus Christ. According to this world, according to the standards of this world, Andrew always took a back seat to, to guess who? His brother. A man by the name of Peter. In fact, every time we see Andrew's name mentioned, we'll talk about how he is the brother of Peter. I mean, how would you like to be that? Uh, that's the way I was growing up. I mean, when I was growing up, it was always like, oh, yeah, you're Steve's brother. Yes, I have a name. <laughs> or, or you're Kathy's brother, my sister, or Amy's brother. And, or you're, um, and they would say my parents, you're theirs. Yes, yes, that's who I am. I'm just related to them. I have no other skills besides that. But that's how Andrew was. And yet, it was Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. If there was not an Andrew, there would never have been a mighty preacher named Peter. Just as Andrew won his brother to Jesus, you have the opportunity to to win your loved ones, whether family, friends, whatever it is, co-workers, to Jesus. How do we do it? Well, let's look at the example of Andrew and see how he did it. First of all, we need to acknowledge... Um, Again, I'm sorry that I don't have a handout for you, but you can write these all out. We need to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Look at the passage that Pastor Will read, starting in verse uh, 35. He says, uh, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Then the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. If you'll remember, John the Baptist, who's talked about here, it says John, we call him John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist's responsibility was this. He prepared the way. He told the world about Jesus, that Jesus Christ was coming. He was actually the cousin of Jesus. And he started his ministry and, and he preached and he talked about repentance and he talked about turning from their sin and he talked about specifically a coming Messiah. Now for many of you, you hear the word Messiah and it doesn't maybe immediately bring to mind something, but for them it did. The Messiah was someone that was promised way, 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 way way back in the history of Israel as someone who was going to come and was going to rescue them. And for the Jewish people, the Messiah was a huge deal. And here in this passage, it says John was preaching, and it says specifically two of his disciples were with him. Disciples, again, simply means a follower, and two of those with him. And we find out later that it is uh, Philip 
and Andrew. And Philip and Andrew are following and, and John the Baptist. And one day, while they're following John the Baptist, Jesus came on the scene. And, and John sees him. And Jesus comes because he wants to be baptized. We see that here as we look at this passage. And, and John, who remember, his responsibility was to tell the world about Jesus. John sees Jesus and he, and he looks out. And what does he say? He says, Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 36 says that he looked at Jesus. Uh, it's interesting, that idea of looked at, if you um, were to study the, the original language, that word looked is, is more an intense look than just like I looked over and saw and looked away. No, the idea of that is it carries the idea of gazing upon. I think that the more that we gaze upon Jesus, the more we desire to know Jesus, the more that we will understand Him. And here it says that He looked upon Jesus and saw the Lamb of God. Now what's the significance of that phrase, Lamb of God? Again, He's, he's talking to a group of people who knew the Jewish culture, who knew the Jewish religion. If you grew up in the Jewish religion, you understood what the Lamb was. You understood that you were a sinner. That means that you did wrong. Every Jew understood that because they had the Ten Commandments and, and they failed the Ten Commandments. But besides the Ten Commandments, God had given them hundreds of laws. And it was almost, uh, it was virtually impossible to keep all the commandments. And they, and they understood that. And so, and so in order to uh, get forgiveness of their sin, they had to do something. And that something was they had to offer as a sacrifice a perfect lamb. For the people of Israel, it was, a, it was something that happened on a regular basis. If you grew up in that culture, if you grew up in that world, you knew that. A little child would grow up and know, I can't get too attached to this lamb because it's going to die for my sins. But they also knew something else. They knew that that death of that innocent little lamb actually could not fully pay for their sins. It could not give them forgiveness. It was just a symbol of something that was to come. And, and I don't think they fully grasped it, but they knew that that wasn't enough. And so for the people of Israel, when they heard the phrase, Behold, the Lamb of God, they were like thinking immediately, Now, this wasn't the first time John said this. If you look in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says the next day when Jesus was coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And notice what he says there in that passage, though, who takes away the sins of the world. See, John understood who Jesus was. And John understood that the only way that we can have permanent forgiveness of sin, I mean that our, 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 our account is wiped clean, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans teaches about this. It says, indeed, Romans is, uh, talks about the, the sacrifice of the lambs and how the lambs did not do it. And even though they had to offer these sacrifices day after day after day after day, it still didn't do it. And then he says this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Are you here today and you're like, man, I want forgiveness. I, I'm a sinner. I've broken God's laws. I've, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a cheater, I'm a gossip, I get angry, and the list goes on and on. And you say, I've broken God's laws. And you know what God says? That, that you are on your way then to eternal punishment. But it doesn't have to end like that. 
Jesus Christ came and He shed His blood. It, it was a vicious, horrible, hideous, ugly death, but it was planned by God before the world began. Because the only way you can have forgiveness is that if an if a innocent, perfect being who was man, but yet at the same time God came to earth and died for you. And that was Jesus Christ. And so when John the Baptist cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God. That meant a lot. Now we must give credit to John the Baptist because he was not a selfish man. We, when, when all the people came to him, they began asking him, Who are you? Um, he, they, some of them said, Are you this Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? He could have replied, Yes. And they would have bowed down and worshipped him. But that's not what he did. In fact, if you look at uh, John chapter 1, verse 30, it says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man whose ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. He goes on and he says, This is one I'm not even worthy to buckle or tie his shoe. And John was humble in this. John points out that those who had followed Him should follow Jesus. He says to those there, hey, behold the Lamb of God. So picture with me, if you will, for a moment. John's preaching. His two disciples that are following, Philip and Andrew, are following along. And, and, and John says, behold the Lamb of God. In other words, follow Him. What does the Scripture tell us there in that passage? And the two disciples, verse 37, heard this and they followed in order to win, we're going to look at Andrew and how he were, was constantly winning people to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus, but in order to do that, first you must know Him. You must know that Jesus Christ is God. And you must know that Jesus Christ is not just another man, but He is the Lamb of God. Notice how they addressed Him, if you will. Look at verse uh, 38. It says that Jesus said, what are you seeking? And they said, they, they said to Him, Rabbi. Scripture says there, which means teacher. Uh, actually, a, a better understanding of that would be a master teacher. Immediately, the first time they met him, they knew there was something different about them, about him, and they called him master teacher. In other words, we will do what you say. See, Andrew came to the point where he said, "You know what? I am going to follow you at all costs." And he acknowledged that Jesus Christ was not just a man. He was not just a leader. He was not just, as we often hear today, just a good teacher. He was God. So Andrew began following him. We see uh, later on, uh, Jesus again comes to Andrew. And, and just touch on this quickly. He says, uh, while, while, uh, excuse me, while walking by the sea, he saw, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, again, the connection there, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Andrew was a fisherman. He was a skilled fisherman, and yet he gave up all of that to follow Jesus because he believed that Jesus was God. Let me ask you this question. Do you acknowledge that Jesus is God? You acknowledge that Jesus is your only possible remedy, the only possible remedy for your sin. If you don't, 
If you somehow think that you can escape your sin or you can escape death and, and hell uh, by, by doing good works, you're mistaken. You can't. True Christianity is, is the only religion that believes that, that you cannot escape punishment, eternal punishment, on your own. All the other religions of the world, if you're good enough, if you work hard enough, if you achieve enough, that somehow you'll escape that, and that's not what the Bible says, and, and you have to come to the point that you understand it. Because if you don't truly understand that, then, then you're not going to be passionate about bringing other people to Jesus. You must acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Second thing is you must take time to hear what Jesus is saying. Continue on in verse 37. They, they, uh, they heard, they followed. Verse 38, Jesus turned and says to them, What are you seeking? Why, why are you following me? Jesus says to these two individuals. And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? To be able to win loved ones to Jesus, we must listen to what Jesus has to say. We must understand what Jesus is going to teach. See, by asking this phrase, where are you staying, what these men were, were, were saying is something interesting. Because you have to understand, again, a little bit of the culture. They were calling him rabbi. See, for a Jewish young boy, uh, you would grow up and you would learn from a young age. You would learn about, about the law and you would learn about these things. But there came to a certain age where, where Jewish boys... Would, would have had one of two ways they would go. Either they would, uh, they, they, they would grow out of the system, so to speak, where they would then find a trade, and they would, whether it was a carpenter or, or something else, where they would get a trade, and they would be an apprentice, and they would follow. But for those who were kind of the elite of the elite, they would continue on to schooling, and, and by continuing on to schooling, what they would do is they would place themselves under a rabbi. And wherever the rabbi went, they went. Whatever the rabbi did, they did. They learned and gleaned and, and, and studied under that rabbi every single day. And so when, when Philip and Andrew said, we, we want to know where you're living, basically what they were saying to Jesus is, Jesus, we want to go where you go. We want to hear everything you have to say. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to as would be the goal for, for a student under a rabbi, we want to be you. See, it wasn't just enough for them to say, yeah, 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 this guy's different. No, they said, we, we, we want to know everything there is to know about you. See, Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the Word of God who came to live on earth. If you look in John chapter 1, where we're at, look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, when Jesus Christ came to earth, again, He wasn't just a mere man. He was God. He was the, the physical manifestation of, of God. And so they want to know more about that. Look at verse 14 of John chapter 1. The Word became flesh... That, that God became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If we get the Word of God in our lives, uh, then, then we are getting who Jesus Christ was. And they understood there, if, if, we would, if they would learn and glean and, and, and become who Jesus was, learn everything Jesus had to know, then, then it would begin to come out. 
challenge you to learn more about God. Take the time to, to hear what Jesus is saying through the Word. Verse 37 says that they followed Him. It means they accompanied Him. Verse 38 says, John looked earlier, it says, uh, they saw, and that's the idea of a close examination. It's similar to this. If you go to the doctor's office, you walk in, you're sitting in the waiting room, and, and uh, pretty soon someone comes in and, and calls your name out and says your name and says this, the doctor will see you. Okay, What do they mean? You know, They don't mean the doctor's going to walk in and say, yep, you're a person, and walk out. What do they mean? They mean the idea is the doctor's going to come in and they're going to examine you. They're going to figure out what the problem is and they're going to study you. And that's what it says. That's the, the wording that is used here when it says that they saw Jesus. They desired to examine Him. They desired to want to know more about Him. They desired to seek Him. To follow Him. To study Him. They wanted to know. The Bible tells us that we're to seek God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Listen to what uh, Jesus is saying. And hear what He has to do. That should be our greatest goal. Look what it says in verse 39. He said to them, Come and you will see. And they came and saw her who was staying, and they stayed with him. They dwelled with him. It's interesting. It says they stayed with him. That is the idea of uh, they made their abode with him. If we are going to live, uh, win loved ones to Christ, if we are going to bring loved ones to Christ, it's not just enough that we are a believer uh, alone. And I'm not saying that you can't um, bring someone to Christ uh, if you just get saved. What I'm saying is, is our desire should be to seek Him. To know more about Jesus. See, it wasn't enough for these two guys just to be like, yep, I heard that, now I'm going to go talk to someone else. No, they wanted to know everything that they possibly could. And so that is why I challenge you to continue to come to church. Church is the avenue that God created for us to learn more about Him, to study Him. And, and as you come to church, you, you learn more about the Bible. You, you have an opportunity as a church family to share your prayer requests and, and, and your needs with one another. And then you begin to then worship together. And as you worship together, your heart is warmed to, know more, to want to know more about Him. I encourage you to be here. I encourage you... Uh, to, to come to growth group. It's a great opportunity, again, to study the Bible together, to, to share your burdens with each other. Um, I know ours, we, we, we love coming together in my house to talk about these things. Here we see, though, that Jesus comes and says to them, come, would, <laughs> wouldn't it be awesome today to go home with Jesus? I mean, here it is, they have an opportunity, and they said, hey, we want to see where you're going, and Jesus goes, come on. Come on. Now, they weren't going to Jesus' house because they were excited to see the size of his house or, or the, the, the remodeling that was done to the kitchen he was using. No, none of that. They wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. They wanted to learn everything they possibly could from Jesus. Again, that, that phrase there, it says they abode, it means they tarried. They dwelled there for a period of time. That's what gave them their inspiration. And I say that because I want you to remember that 
that fellowship and worship always comes before sharing the gospel. Fellowship and worship, worshiping God, fellowshipping together, fellowshipping around the Word always precedes sharing the gospel. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the better you know Him, the better you are at sharing the gospel with those around you. And so that is what Andrew was. Andrew acknowledged that Jesus was Lord. He made every opportunity he could learn about Jesus. And we see this as as a pattern of Andrew's life. But then finally, he introduced others to Jesus. Look at verse 40. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. We see from this what is the responsibility for you and I. I asked earlier to put a name of someone here. What is your responsibility with that person on the name? If you haven't written the name yet, go ahead and do it. You can continue doing it as I'm speaking, multiple names. But what is your responsibility? First of all, there's the task. What are you to be doing? The task that we share the, is that we share the gospel. And verse 41 tells us he first found his brother. Now, I want to dissect each of those words. First of all, it says he first. Now, no doubt, P, uh, excuse me, Andrew went out and shared with others. In fact, we see that. We see a, a point where uh, later on where there's... There, the, Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're in an area and they're meeting and Jesus is teaching and these, uh, these Greeks uh, come in to talk to Jesus. And that was, you know, they weren't Jews. And they come and they come to one of the other disciples and the other disciples kind of just shoes them off. Nope, get, get away from here. And Andrew goes and talks to him and says, no, let's go to Jesus. That was a common pattern of Andrew. But, but first it tells us here, immediately he found his brother. And he was concerned about finding the one that was so close to him. He was successful in that. Uh, we, uh, when we are saved, the impulse should be for us to find someone else. Now, that word first is interesting because it's not just the idea of first as in timing. It's, it's the first of importance that Andrew understood that the most important thing he could do now, that he acknowledged that Jesus was Lord, that he was learning under the feet of Jesus, then he said, you know what I need to do? I need to go tell my brother. See, for us as as Christians, that should be what it is. It should be, I need to go right now and tell those that need to hear. It says there, the next thing it says, he first found his brother. We don't know how far Andrew had to go to search for his brother, but we know that he... Uh, he was searching. We understand that the Bible tells us those who are without Christ are lost and they have to be found. We see uh, the idea... Sorry, I missed that. We see the idea that in this passage we said, uh, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So he found his brother third word, uh, exa- phrase we want to examine is it says his own brother. It's significant that it, it records his brother, not someone else's. Not that that's wrong, but it's, it's often much easier for us to reach someone else's brother than it is to reach our own. I've had some of you tell me that. Now, I, I have the privilege of being in a, in a family, my entire family is believers. But I've had some of you tell me that much of your family is, is not. They're unsaved. and It's hard to go and talk to family. 
But what Andrew realized is that that's what he needed to do. I challenge you, if you have family who's unsaved and you have not shared the gospel with them, you need to. And I understand that it's difficult because you don't want to you want you don't want to upset them. You don't want them to to be mad at you. You don't want them to 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 ignore you, and not, then you lose a relationship. But but it's so important that we uh, that we do that. But I'm not just talking about family. Also, friends and those around you. You have that opportunity. Maybe you work with someone that you know needs Jesus. Find that opportunity to talk to them. Maybe it's, it's a close friend that you know needs Jesus. Find that opportunity. Invite them to church. Studies have revealed that 86% of people who came to church came because a friend invited them. 86%. So if you're not inviting, what's that mean? We're not going to be getting a lot of people coming to our church. 86%. Studies also reveal, this is interesting, I actually used this quote a few weeks uh, ago, uh, stat a few weeks ago, but uh, it's also revealed that 80, over 80% of people say that if someone would invite them to church, they would go. These are unchurched people, people that don't go to church ever, and it is said that over 80% said, hey, if someone would just invite me, I would go. Yet, yeah, we struggle to invite people. You may not be able to get up and preach a message or sing uh, a song or or memorize hundreds of verses, or you may not teach a Sunday school class, or you may not do a lot of things, but you do have the ability to be an Andrew and invite people to Jesus. So the task of the witness is to bring people to Jesus, the testimony of the witness. What did Andrew say to Peter when he found him? Remember, he said he would have to search for Peter, and when he found him, what did he tell us? Uh, verse 41 tells us, and it is such a simple message. Look what it says there. Verse 41, he found his own brother and he said to them, We have found the Messiah. I want you to notice a few things about, his, about what he said to him. First of all, it was a spoken testimony. It's most important that our lives are consistent in living a Christian life. It's most important that what we reflect to the world around us is that we love Jesus. But we have, that does not exempt us from the responsibility of actually opening our mouths and telling them about Jesus. It wasn't enough for Andrew just to go and, and say, you know, I'm going to do the best I can. There's this, there's this idea that the lifestyle of evangelism, if I, just, if I just live a good way, then people are going to look and go, hey, there's something different about him. No, we actually must open our mouths and declare. Look what it says in Luke, another passage. Uh, this is a story of a man who was, who was demon-possessed. And Jesus removed the demon from him, and, and he said to him this, Go to your family and declare how much God has done for you. If you are here today, and you, have, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that He is your only, only remedy for salvation, you should declare it. Not just in the way that you live, but with your words. And, and for, for Andrew, he, he, he was willing to say, I'm going I'm to declare. And, and, he, and he did. Here's the thing is, most of us are ready and willing to speak on almost every subject. But are we willing to speak about our Lord? I find it interesting that you can be in a crowd of people and and you can be, you know, you can talk about Notre Dame football and everyone has an opinion. 
uh, and you start talking about Jesus Christ and suddenly people scatter. In fact, aren't we told, right, you can talk about anything you want except for what? Religion and politics. But yet the Bible tells us we are to declare to the world around us what Jesus has done for us. It should be a spoken testimony. But the second thing I want you to notice, it was a simple testimony. What he said a child could have understood. When we speak of the Lord, uh, of the Lord Jesus, we should speak of him as naturally as we talk about any earthly friend. It's such a simple message. You know, m- many people will say to me, you know, uh, Pastor Peter, I-, I don't have the... So it's hard for me to share, but it's such a simple... Anyone can do it. Notice in Acts, Acts it says, now those who were scattered... It's, the story is told about how, uh, how the, all these people were getting saved and then persecution started and so the, they just went throughout the world and as they went throughout the world, what did they do? They didn't have... They hadn't been trained. They hadn't had uh, studied the Bible. They hadn't... They hadn't been gone to school. They hadn't done all these things. So what did they do? They just went around and told, preached the word. And it says Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And what did he do? He proclaimed Christ. Paul talks about it. He says, you know, I, I have nothing to speak of except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, if nothing else, we tell people, hey, you are, you are uh, struggling through life. I have an answer for that. As I said earlier, our... Uh, on, on Invite Your One Sunday, I'm going to start a series called Relieving Stress. I, I guarantee if you go to people at work and say, hey, are you stressed out? You know what they're going to say? Yep. You know what? There's a hope. It is not to say Christians are without stress, but there is hope. And the only hope of rescue from stress and trials and struggles is Jesus Christ doesn't mean that the second you come to Christ, suddenly all the problems of the world will go away. But you know what? The problems of this world don't matter the same. Because yes, I may struggle through life and I may have problems. Man, do I have stress sometimes. And I may have difficulties, but here's the thing. is One day Jesus Christ will either come back to earth and take me home, or one day I will die and I will go to the presence of God and none of that will matter. And then I will spend eternity stress-free. So you, you, you have the opportunity to say to people, hey, you, you want hope? I'll give you some hope. It's such a simple message. But I want you to notice thirdly, it's a sure testimony. What do I mean by that? Andrew was absolutely, positively, 100% certain of his message. He did not say, hey, Peter... I think we found the guy. He said, Peter, we found the Messiah. It was huge. It's a big deal. We live in a world today where there is a lack of certainty. We're uncertain about so many different things, aren't we? a politically uncertain world. It's a socially uncertain world. And yet there is a certainty that Jesus Christ is the only hope for salvation for eternity. He says to him, we have found the Messiah. He was sure, he was certain, declaring the Word of God. 
do you know with certainty that you that that Jesus Christ is the, the remedy to all of these problems? If so, then say so. Why is it that we are as Christians sometimes some of the most uncertain, confused people? We have the answer for hope. We should be declaring it. And fourthly, it was a soul-searching testimony. The Andrew used what he knew would connect to the mind of Peter. He knew it was the thing that was going to pierce into Peter's heart. See, Peter, just like Andrew, understood the Messiah. I, I don't think we can begin to comprehend how, how, how big of a deal this was to the people of Israel. I, I said this uh, a number of months ago in a message, but, but every woman, when, when she gave birth, her hope was it was going to be a boy, not because they didn't want girls, but because they were hoping it was the Messiah. They longed for it. They hoped for it. And here, Andrew comes and he didn't say, hey, I found a really good teacher. Hey, I found a rabbi. He said, I found the Messiah. And immediately it pierced into the heart of Peter. Testimony that we have can pierce into the lives of people. And we need to find that way of connecting with those that we talk to. It was a soul-searching testimony. And then finally, the task, the testimony, and the triumph. Notice, if you will, in verse 42, it says in verse 42, and uh, he brought him to Jesus. Have you ever experienced that glorious experience of bringing someone to Jesus? It's incredible. I've shared this testimony before a few years ago, but I remember... Uh, one of the first real opportunities I had to lead someone to Christ. I was working at camp in, uh, in Wyoming, and I had a young man in my cabin. He was in, uh, I, I believe, as time passes, I don't remember his name or age anymore, but I believe he was in junior high. And I had been praying for this young man all week. As a camp counselor, we would sit down with our, our campers, and we would talk to him. We'd say, do you know Jesus? And and this young man, as I talked to him, he, no, no, you want to, I'm not ready. And I remember every day praying for him and, and longing for him, and I wanted him to come to Jesus, and I would try to get opportunities. And I remember the last service came, Friday night came, and the preacher got up and preached. And, and I remember sitting there, and at, at, the, at the end of the service, what we would do is we'd go to the back, and we would stand there and wait, and the preacher would say, if you want to talk to your counselor, go to the back. And I remember going to the back, and I remember the entire time staring at that young man, hoping he would come forward, because I just was praying, God, God, break his heart, bring him forward. Bring him, bring him to, the, uh, to wanting to know you. The preacher said, this is the last um, verse we're going to sing. And I remember sitting there thinking, and, and just as they got to the end of that verse, the young man turned and just looked at me. And I said, and he came back to the back and he looked at me and he said, I want to get saved. I took him and I told him, and, and it, it was such an, a, a wonderful experience. And here we have Andrew. He's, he's telling his brother, we found the Messiah. And he takes his brother and he brings him to Jesus. And, and Peter becomes a changed man. Notice he didn't tell him to come to Jesus. He led him to Jesus. You have the opportunity to lead people to Jesus. And I, I challenge you to do that. But then continue reading. And it tells us there in that passage that 
that Jesus says, Simon, you are going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. He had so changed that, that, that Jesus even changed his name. Now, can you imagine now, now Andrew, Andrew, the, the quiet brother, the unassuming brother, the one who didn't seem to be as multi-talented as, as his brother Peter. And, and yet, can you imagine Andrew on the day of Pentecost when, when Peter gets up and preaches and there's thousands of people around and they're glued to him? Every word he says. And after he preaches, 3,000 people get saved. Can you imagine how, how Andrew must have looked at that? See, there are Peters all over waiting to be brought to the Lord. But will you be an Andrew? Will you be the one that says, hey, let's go to Jesus? I'm going to close with a story. You may or may not have heard of a man by the name of Edward Kimball. I've shared Edward Kimball's story before, but I, I want to share it with you again and then add something to it. Edward Kimball was a, was a Sunday school teacher in, in Massachusetts. And uh, Edward Kimball was, had, a, had a young man in his class who, was, uh, uh, who he was concerned about. Edward was concerned because he did, he did not think he knew Christ, and so he uh, wanted to tell him, but he was, he was afraid to tell him, he was scared to tell him, and, and uh, he thought, I, I better do this. And this young man was kind of a rough, crude young man, and even the idea of thought, talking to him terrified Edward Kimball. One afternoon, he decided, I'm going to do it today. And so he, he left his house and he, and he set out to the shoe store where this young man worked. And he walked in and uh, in, his, in his very timid and soft-spoken way, he began to share the gospel with this young man. Kimball recalls years later, he said this, I, I never could remember just what I said to them, something about Christ or something about the love of Jesus. That's all I know, but it was a very weak appeal. But this young man gave his life to Christ. Most of you know who this young man was. You've maybe heard this story before. This young man was a man by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody became a very well-known evangelist. And maybe you've heard that story, but, but it doesn't end there. After preaching in, in the U.S. for many years, D.L. Moody decided he was going to go on a preaching trip to England. And he went over to England, and while preaching in England, he, he met a preacher by the name of F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was, was a pastor of a small church. He was uh, not, not, uh, not really well known, but F.B. Meyer, by hearing the preaching of D.L. Moody, realized that he had not fully given his life to God, even as a preacher. And so he, he decided he was going to do that, and he became more passionate about the gospel and about preaching. And so he expanded his ministry. And part of that was he began traveling all over the world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He came here to the United States and he, he preached at Furman University. Some of you maybe have heard of that. And while preaching at Furman University, there was a young man in the auditorium when, when uh, F.B. Meyer preached. And this young man was training for the ministry, but he, he was tired. He had just made a decision the night before that he was going to quit the ministry. He was going to go home and he was going to get a job and he was going to move on. And he heard the preaching of F.B. Meyer and it so moved him that he said, I, I, I can't do that. He continued his training and he became uh, a preacher. His name was R.G. Lee. He pastored for over 30 years. He pastored a very large church in Tennessee. Impacted many lives. 
F.B. Meyer continued to preach, and, and through his preaching, inf- influenced a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman was very in- instrumental in, in the leading of uh, another young man by the name of Billy Sunday. Maybe some of you have heard of him. Billy Sunday was a baseball player who was, who, who, uh, a professional baseball player who also was, was a drunk. And through the leading and teaching of, uh, of uh, J. Wilbert Chapman, Billy Sunday, uh, his life was changed. Billy Sunday went out and began preaching, and he impacted a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. I know, some of these names are interesting. He impacted a man by the name of Mordecai Ham, and Mordecai Ham gave his life to Christ. Mordecai Ham began doing uh, uh, preaching all over the world and began doing uh, these crusades where he would preach for two, three weeks at a time. Uh, one of these crusades, there was a young man in the audience who was just kind of, he was, he was kind of just not doing much for God. And through the preaching of Mordecai Ham, this young man came to Christ and began to be uh, to, to preach boldly for Christ. This young man's name was Billy Graham. Isn't it interesting that just because of one nobody, a man by the name of Edward Kimball, one nobody, led another nobody, and it started a series of dominoes that ended up in thousands and thousands of people coming to Christ. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there might not be any Billy Grahams in this, in this auditorium. But there may be in this auditorium an Edward Kimball, an Andrew. Someone who is, man, you, the idea of sharing with someone about Jesus Christ terrifies you. But the impact it could have could be huge. I want to ask you this question. Are you willing enough to be an Andrew? To share with just one the good news of Jesus Christ. Now we've given you an opportunity by having a service where we're asking you to invite that one. Bring them out. As I said earlier, write the names on there and make sure I find this. I'm going to ask you, who's that one? Maybe for you it's more than one. <laughs> and it should be. But who's your one? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to share this message. And I pray that through the example of Andrew, we will understand that we, we don't have to reach thousands. We start with one. Now, Andrew didn't stop with just one. Andrew continued on, Lord. We know that. And he continued on to to continually bring people to Jesus. But, but Lord, I just pray to help us to be like Andrew and be ready and willing to bring that one. Lord, if there's any in here this morning who have not made you the Lord of their life, I pray that you help them to see that that is their only hope to escape future judgment. And I pray to help them to do it today. Lord, help them to not wait any longer. They cannot work hard enough to escape it. They can't give enough to escape it. They can't say enough. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that help me come to you.
Lord, even as we go into a time of communion in a few moments, Lord, and we remember what, what Jesus Christ did for us, I pray that you help us to, to, to be thinking about what it is that you want us to do and to be obedient to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.